hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. Revelation 2, verse, just go to 1, verse 4. Now watch this. <clears throat> the Lord's wanting to do some work. He's, he's equipping us for a, a fall in your life that you're gonna have to get free and prepared mentally and emotionally for where he's taken you. Otherwise, the glory of the Lord that is so heavy, the weight comes to your life this season, you're not gonna be able to hold it because of you're still carrying stuff from yesterday. So I'm just trying to get you in a position to get your legs underneath you and your heart positioned right so you can carry the weight of the glory of God that's befallen to you in the season that you're in, right? If you have employees and you can't manage 15 employees and you can't manage this business that will need its 15 employees to produce. Right? Make sense? Your kids turn teenager and you're gonna learn how to lead them at teenager but you really have struggled te teaching them as a, and I had a, a, a toddler. You're gonna have to go up. Right? It's just where we are. Now watch this. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in your right hand, his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. Look at this. I know your labor. I even know your patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. You abstain from evil. It's not, this is not, I'm not talking about a sin issue here. I'm not talking about necessarily just being in sin. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you, you give. Your heart is affection towards him. The best that you know how. You're getting pulled from every kind of direction. But watch this. And thou hast tried them, which say they're apostles, and are not, and you found them to be liars. And has borne, and has patience. And for my name's sake, has labored, and you've not fainted. You keep going. You keep giving all you have. You're still praying. You still love God. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. I'm not telling you that you don't love God. But some of us have gotten so much into trying to love God that we have not yet received the love from God. The first love is not you loving him. The first love is he loved you. And if you get that out of order in any way in your life, you will begin to do ministry and do life, do raising kids, trying to be a husband, trying to be a wife, trying to be a business owner, trying to be an employer, employee. You'll try to do all these things in life and it'll all be out of patience, labor, working hard, doing what's right, trying to make yourself available to everybody. But you've got to get a revelation this morning that it is not based on your power. It's not in your spirit and it's not in your might, it's by his spirit, says the Lord. You have to be getting able to receive how much he first loves you, and out of the overflow of how much he loves you, you begin to pour out your overflow. You can't pour, you can't drum it up, you can't muster it up, you can't get yourself in a three-point stand, you just can't do it. You can't wake up every morning grinding your teeth, well, today's another day, I gotta do this, I gotta. If you're feeling heavy, depressed, oppressed, and you're doing everything you know to do, it's time to get a fresh perspective of just how much 
he loves you. And it sounds cliche-ish because we've been preaching it all over the country. It sounds watered down because how, can, how much can you say it? But I'm gonna tell you how it really is. Unless you receive and turn to your first love, you're going to do everything out of works trying to get love. If you, if you don't receive unconditional love, your love will be tainted with conditional love as you release it. The more you realize how much he loves you, the more you're gonna love your kids. Oh, I love my kids more than anything in this world. I know. But there's no depth, no height, no width, no breadth that can ever measure how much he loves you. So that means there's more. So the more we dive into that realm of how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, you should have lost it all, and maybe you did, but you should have kept lost it all. And he gave you a second chance. He gave you a third chance. He gave you a fourth chance. Man, he should have lost it all, but you're still here. You nearly died, but you still have breath. She should have left you, but somehow she's still here. You ran the first one off. She betrayed you. He betrayed you, but here you are with another chance. That's how much he loves you. He's not gonna discard you. He's gonna draw you in. His number one goal is to reveal himself to you in a clear, unfiltered way. Without conditions. Without a reaction. It just is because he loves you. And that love is the only thing that's gonna ever free and unclutter the pipe that flows through our minds and our hearts at times and gets cluttered with stuff of life. The love is like a, it's like a hose, a pressure washer that's coming as hard as it can and it just cleans out all of those impurities. What does his love? Every time you get an inkling, an idea, or a, 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 just a, an eye-opening, a glimpse of the love God, it changes you, it endears you, and it's more than just having your sins forgiven. That's a wonderful start, and it's a wonderful relationship as those things continue to happen. Oh, but when he begins to pour himself to you, and he begins to reveal himself to you, and pull back the curtain of your life and say, I'm in that. I did that for you. I did that for you. The number one thing we want our kids and our nephews and our nieces and grandkids to do for us, to us, is to trust us. Be vulnerable to us. Be gullible to us. And as parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents, what we do is we go overboard to create a confidence and a security in them that they can be gullible, trust. He's going overboard in your life. Here's where it gets all twisted. Because we have God such in a mechanic box and we know, we think we know his ways, but we really only know his actions. 
because we have history and testimony of his actions. He did it before, he'll do it again. He did it before, he'll do it again. He came through, then he'll come through here. But here's what he's really getting to. He's, he's screaming, shouting to and for a body that knows his ways. So when affliction comes, we don't shut down and think God's trying to punish us to get us to teach us a lesson. When hardships come, we don't go, we become suspect of God. When you know his ways, no matter what comes at you, you don't get suspect of him. Because you can trust him even when it doesn't look like you can trust him. You can know he's there even when you can't see he's there. And you have enough actions in the past knowing he's done it once, he'll do it again. He did it once, he'll do it again. He'll do it once, he'll do it again. But we've got to mature, grow up to that place. So when life is coming at us, and we're coming at life, and something sideswipes you, you don't go running back to the world, sulking back to the things of the world to give you comfort, go back into the medications, go back into, I'm not saying you shouldn't take your medications, I'm just telling you that don't get a crutch on anything other than him. You follow the doctor, you go to the doctor, you be transparent with your doctor, and you tell him, this is where I'm at. But don't go, oh, don't go to your physician and try to convince them to write you something to get you some peace. You're wiser than that, you're stronger than that, and you serve a God that's bigger than that. I am passionate about your life, about you. I cannot stand the thought of you living less than what he has prepared for you. Something happens inside of me when I see somebody accomplish something that I know it's in their heart to do. It's, it's the thing in my core, I don't know what, it, it's above all things in my life. When I see somebody that desires to do something and become something and they accomplish it, it hits them, they do it, it breaks me to my core. I'll shut down everything around me for that moment. I cry at an AT&T commercial when the kid calls home and they connect. This past week I was crying on an AT&T phone because I couldn't get good service. <laughs> that was a sidebar. But you hear what I'm talking about? There's something inside of me that just craves to see you be all you're supposed to be. We're coaching Little League football. A-kids, all the kids have to play up. And there's a couple of quick kids that just, at the first couple of days, they just wanted to quit. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And my job as a coach was to get them to see the reward is hard, better than the hardness that they're experiencing right this moment. I could have just said, well, go on. Throw them back into the camp that helped create some of that. Or I pull them in and say, no, 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 no. I believe in you. You're gonna be the best guard. You're gonna be the best center. You're gonna be the best tight end. You are. It's gonna happen to you. Two kids that wanted to quit on Monday, last Monday, got text messages from both of our parents. Said my kids come home with smiles on their face. I ran those kids to, to death. <laughs> but you know what was the hardness of the, the, the workout? Didn't compare 
to what was happening inside of their heart and their eyes have been able to see bigger than the temporary hardship that they were facing. Come on, church. Is your picture bigger in God than what you're temporarily facing? Or just are you going through the motion? Just trying to get through this, this rut. Are your tires stuck in the tracks? If they are, you gotta go back to your first love. Faith works by love. It's impossible to please him without faith. And you have to know that you have to believe that God is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When everything falls apart around you, when things just feel heavy and you don't even know you can just, you're barely getting your covers, your head up out of your covers. And the only reason you're even getting up out of that bed today is because somebody's dependent upon you. Thank God somebody's dependent upon you or you'd stay right there. I've been there. I know what it's like. I know what it's, I know. I, f- I feel that sometimes too. If I wasn't the pastor, sometimes I wouldn't come to church. It's true. You know how many times I'd quit being pastor here? I bet you at least 50 or 60, but I just never have left. Because at the end of the day, the end result, the calling, the commissioning, the relationship you have with him is what it's all about. And I remind myself, I used to do it daily, now it's become hourly, how much you, he loves me. And there's times I go through here, sometimes I'll go through my house or drive in my car, and I'll drive down this city, and I'll drive through the bad parts of the town, and I'll just go, you do love me, don't you, Lord? <laughs> I need that reminder occasionally, right? But you need to have those kind of conversations because deep down I know. And all I gotta do is start thinking about the trophies that I have in my life of what he's done. When I didn't fight the battle, he did. When I didn't know how to win and he showed me how to win. When he restored that, when I didn't even know how to do anything but tear it apart. When I didn't even know how to swing the punch or swing the, the fist, I didn't know how to fight back, but God did it. When I didn't know who to turn to, he sends you who to turn to because they just come right up in your face. I know I'm preaching to the choir today. But you cannot end 2018 with the same measurement of your life that you did 2017. You have to produce, you have to increase. What does that look like? I'm talking about in every area of your life. You have to take risk and take chances. Are we good? Y'all mad yet? I'm serious. This thing is, it's, it's expediting. Life is expediting. Everything is expediting. Right? Don't you feel it in your life? You have to. Luke chapter 7. 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10. Let me just briefly go through this. 
Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion, now a centurion was not a Jewish guy, but he was a wealthy man. A centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick. His servant was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him his elders of the Jews. He had connections. Beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him and said, saying, that he is worthy for whom should do this. Because, well, we'll say it this way. He loves our nation and he built synagogue, but he gives a lot of money in the offering. Go back to full four. Look, look, the religious people are going to Jesus. This man has a need. Look why they told Jesus he needed to come. Verse five, you need to do this, Jesus, because he loves our nation, and he built us a church. Right? What's the lesson that takes place as these Jewish men, leaders, are standing in the gap, thinking it's because of this guy's reputation of how good he is in town? is why Jesus is gonna do this. Watch this. He loves our nation. He built a synagogue. Then Jesus went with him. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou should even enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither that I thought I am myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word. Just say in a word. My servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say to them, one go, and he goes, and another one to come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Look at this. You ever, who, who wants to make Jesus marvel? Come on, it's Jesus marvel. This isn't the Jewish people. This is a, a centurion guy that's not in the, the, the religious sect. He's a, he's a wealthy man, and has lots of business and employees and servants, but he is not that guy. He, he doesn't have front row seat in the synagogue. He marveled at him and turned him about and said to the people that followed him, I say unto you, have I not found, look, so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to their house found the servant whole that, he had, that had been sick. Jesus healed him on the spot because of that man's Revelation. What was his revelation? Here's what you have to get today. You have to get this. When Jesus came, and I told you the story about him coming up out of the water to be baptized. When Jesus came to the earth, he came to remove the mystery of the invisible Father, the invisible God, to the people. Right? For three and a half years, Jesus walked amongst the people, revealing and removing the mystery to those that are close to him. Here is the intent of God. Philip said, would you just show us the Father plainly? And Jesus looked at him and said, Philip, how long have I been with you? When you see me, you see the Father. So they held on to a time, those disciples and those people around, held on to a time of, oh, we get him here, we get him here, we get him here. This centurion understood authority and how it worked. This centurion knew this man is not from around here. He is not representing this area. 
He's under authority. He's under delegated authority. He has come from another place representing God. And I know how that works, he says. I say go, and they go. I say come here, they come here. I say carry out a task in order, they carry out a task in an order. I do that. He's here carrying out a task in an order. We hear Jesus say, I only do what I see my father do or say what I hear my father say. I've got news for you today. When you get an understanding of who you are, how much love he has delegated to you, how much power you have through that love, you'll recognize that even the demons are subject to you in his name. The man that wasn't caught off guard by this saying, He's under the authority of heaven. Man, that's amazing right there. So now, whatever he says, do. No, those things that were holding people in oppression and sickness and disease were also under the authority of heaven. And Jesus was the representation or the representation bringing that here. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is, three and a half years, Jesus is walking with his disciples He's telling them, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Their first reaction was, oh gosh, I hope I get the big house. I hope, I, I hope, I hope I'm on Park Avenue. Their, their, their reaction is immediately shift to there. What he's saying is, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a setting for you, a state of being for you. Because don't forget, the next verse says, when I come back, I'm gonna come into you and you will be witnesses unto me, unto heaven, everywhere you go. The disciples had a hard time shifting, and that's where the church is today. We've had a hard time shifting. They had a hard time shifting the responsibility. It's easy to abdicate it back to Jesus when he's up there. But Jesus is up there and abdicating it back to us because we're down here. Who has the authority? We do. Who gave us the authority? He did. What gives you the authority? His obedience to the cross and the inheritance that came with the resurrection. I have to establish this right now. Revelation chapter five, verse 12. See how far I want to go back. Let's go back to verse 10. And has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign where? Where? Number one, eternity 
isn't here or there. Eternity is here. Whether you're here or whether you're there is eternal. You get that? The church, and I've been guilty of this. I've preached this message. It's not, it's not been healthy. It's good intentions. It's not healthy. We preached fallen mankind in the garden for 4,000 years. And then Jesus comes, takes the sin of mankind upon himself, gives us a clean slate, walks around for about 40 days after that, then ascends to heaven, and now we're waiting on him to come back to get us out of the mess, right? So we endure until he comes again. I do believe he's coming back, right? But I don't believe that between Genesis and Malachi was the first half, and from Acts till now is, the, Acts until uh, Revelation was the, is, the, is the second half, and right now we're living in halftime. We're not in timeout. We're not in a pause. What carried on when Jesus came? What torch was passed to, to, the, to you and to me? The torch that was passed was to reign as kings and priests unto our God in the earth. You're not a punching bag for the devil. I watched this happen the other day in a little kid's scrimmage game. The, the defense over here, and the offense had the ball. The offense fumbled, and the coach says, defense, on the field. And nobody ran. So the offense is on the field trying to figure out how to play defense. When Jesus ascended to heaven, and the Spirit of God descended on mankind, you went from defense to offense. Your role has shifted for your life. There's nothing in front of you that is bigger than you. There's nothing in front of you that can take you out. The only thing that'll take you out is if you get weary in doing well. Or you get sidetracked on things that are trying to make it happen for yourself and you lose sight of the first love that God first loved you. When you forget that that plan that he has for you is so solid, you're an ambassador for heaven. An ambassador goes to a foreign country representing the United States. If they get assaulted in that country, it's not just a crime against that man or woman. It's a crime against that country. On this country, right? That man or woman gets paid to be an ambassador. Their, their needs are supplied, their housing is supplied, their protection is supplied, their health insurance is supplied. All of that is happening. Who's funding that? Here, as they represent the, the, the America, right? So when Jesus sent them out two by two to go become ambassadors to the area, not one time did one of those 70 
come back and say, we had five people make decisions. We had 12 converts. Now, I'm not going to mess with you here, but this is truth. We had, we had 12 converts. They converted from that to this. No, they said, even the devils are subject to us in your name. Jesus says, what are you all excited about that for? Don't get excited about that. He goes, get it pumped up because your name is written in eternity. Our job as an ambassador sent out of Haiti, for example, is not to go create a bunch of Haitians to turn to Americans. It's to represent a nation that sent that person there to educate and represent our interests, to help introduce ideas and culturize, so they can become familiar with, to help advance and progress, remove things that are in their way, help them see. So when you have a, a neighbor or your own life, you got, let's make it real personal real quick before I close. You got a husband and you're the wife and you're the ambassador and they sometimes feel like the foreign land. Your job is not to get them to convert over to how you see it. Your job is to represent heaven and remove the obstacles in the spirit eternity that are hindering them from seeing. The conversion is to eliminating the object, obstacles. Then, what's Jesus? After feeling, feel, feeding people, wrecking funerals, setting things on fire, just turning things upside down. People are going, what, we, what must we do to be saved? The disciple, what, 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 tell me what we need to be doing to say. When is the last time you heard the church bring a string of people over here and go, let me tell you how I got saved. I got saved because I, I saw something in there and something was happening. I don't know what it was, but something, I needed something they had and it, they prayed over me and something, I now I, I was blind, but now I can see. I don't understand it. I don't know if it was Jesus, them, God, or me. I don't know. We don't need converts to join the church. We need converts to enter into the kingdom. If they enter into the kingdom, they'll become a part of the church because the church is the agent for the kingdom. We equip in the kingdom. Man, we've been back on our heels for so long, for a couple thousand years, we've been back on our heels because our message has just been all weird and we wonder why people... Our biggest argument is contemporary music or is it traditional music? You think, you think they want that? He, he's beating his head against his desk because his bills aren't paid, his kids are out of control, he's not sure he loves her anymore, and, he, and pressure of life, he's don't like his job, but he's trapped because he's been trained in that thing his whole, whole life, speaking to somebody, and, he, and, he, and he's, he's trained in it, and he's going, God, it's, I got too much behind me, I can't go back and start all over again, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? What he needs is somebody to nestle upside to him that is an ambassador for the spirit, for the kingdom. 
of love that comes in, nestles up beside him, and he begins to see different than the way he has ever seen. He realizes that the oppression and the depression and the repression and all these things, no matter, even if he calls it himself, there is a way of escape, and God will not put more on you than you can handle. He will not put more on you. He'll give you, he'll, he'll box you in so you can break out of your box. He'll throw you a curveball just so you learn how to hit a curveball. But if you think he's throwing you a curveball to strike you out, you gotta get back to your first love. He's not our adversary. He's not our foe. He's, he's not even our, our proctor while we're taking the exam and he's looking to see if you're cheating. Oh, you guys. If he came back today, split those skies, walked east. He walked in this place, and he walked in this place. He would walk in. He could sit in a service, and I, he might say amen a few times. But I promise you, you wouldn't recognize him. How do I know that? They had to kiss him on the cheek. Judas did because he was so common amongst them. He, they were trying to push him off a cliff. He walks in the midst of them to get away from them. While they're fighting to scramble to push him off a cliff, he walks in the middle. What's my point? I've got to get you to see life after death. You have to see this, that you're still alive. He took the keys to death and hell. He has those keys. And he gives us those keys. And the church has used them to scare a world that's already dying on their way to hell. Out of good intention. I don't think another excellent sermon is going to do it for the world. I think we had some good ones. I think what's gonna do it for the world is when they see demonstration and power in the spirit. But let me tell you, church, the church gets all pumped up like that because our hair raises up going, yeah, let's have an altar call. Let's do it. Let's do this thing, man. Roll my sleeves up. I'll wear my tank top next week. We'll get down with this thing, right? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you don't have love and you don't have your first love, you wear the, 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 the skin off the top of somebody's head. That stuff's crazy too. You better, it's grounded in here. I'm gonna tell this story and then we'll close. I was praying for a guy one time and he was having marital problems. This has been 15 years ago and he came to, the, he actually was a part of the, the ministry at this church I was ministering at. He's a good guy and he, he, I knew he, he told me that him and his wife had been having marital problems and things were just not good and she had him under the gun of everything he was doing. He didn't read enough, he didn't pray enough and then she found out he dipped a little bit and I, what gave it away was the, the hole in the back pocket or the, the outline in the back pocket. I said, well, there's your first mistake. You don't need me to pray for you about that. But he came with the altar, he was real sincere, and I could feel his heart just breaking, man. He was just, he, I got, he said, this, this dipping is really taking its toll on me, man. I, I just, I, I need delivered. I said, well, how many times have you been prayed for for this? He said, oh, countless. He said, but I feel like you said something tonight that this will be the moment. I said, wow, and I'd already prayed for lots of people. So he came up and 
he was a usher at this particular ministry. So he takes his jacket off because he's fixed, he's feeling it's about to go down. So has his earpiece on and he's here and all these guys gather around him like they're gonna catch him. And I'm thinking to myself, what? You're a great guy. She's a great lady, but you're both off in your revelation. You're bound by trying to do what's right. That's bondage. That's what, that's, what, that's what Brendan was saying earlier. It's bondage. So I looked at him for a minute and I thought, okay, I can do one of two things. I can give him what he's looking for or I can give him what I got. So he stands there like this and I walked back and forth for a few minutes and he, he did what lots of charismatic churches do. They raise their hands and then they open one eye to see how close you are. Close, opens one eye to see how close you are. And then, and then I, so I moved by him. And he, so I got close and he closed his eyes again. But I hadn't prayed yet. And then he opened up the other one. He was trying to figure out which side I was on and position and just right. And, and I, honestly, this thought crossed my mind. And I, I've never said this. I've told this story a dozen times, but I've never said this before. But I kind of thought like I was a, one of those. You know what I mean? He was going to run through that and I was going to pull that thing out. It's just crazy. It is just nuts. Church people are crazy. All right? So are ministers. Okay, don't let, they act like they're not, but they are. So here's what happened. So he's right here. And all these guys now gather around because they love him too. And I, I got ready. I was ready to go. And I got ready to lay my hands on him. And I put my hands on my hips. And I leaned into his ear. And I said, are you ready? He said, I'm ready. I said, just quit doing it. And I walked on. <laughs> Bye. This is a true story. God, I was my witness. It's true. And he went. Right listen, listen to me, this is true. He had four or five guys that were standing behind him that didn't know whether to laugh, to get mad, and probably a little bit of everything, right? I looked at one that I knew that I could trust, and I looked at him and I said, you gonna help him? He said, yeah. He walked over, handed his hand, this is true, handed his hand down, put that can of Copenhagen in his hand, took it, put it in his pocket, walked off. This is the truth. That man never touched that again. Now, she found something else to blame me for, <laughs> right? But he got free from that. True story. Now, what am I trying to tell you? This stuff isn't all spooky weird. Revelation knowledge opens up a window of sight for us to live through. And we begin to see things that we've never seen before. Life after death isn't a date of death. See, there's the date of birth, and there's that date of death, and on the tombstone, and in the middle is the hyphen. I got news for you. That hyphen is much greater than the beginning, and it's much greater than the end. Those look like terms, but you're not terminal when you're in the spirit. Man, I love you guys so much. I want you so free. I do. I want you to run, not because somebody tells you to run, but you just can't contain yourself. I want you to get up in the morning early just because you want to get up early and you're ready to take on life. Are you ready for that? And if you got, listen to me, if you're somebody that's still got some, some, some pressure and things aren't good, we've got ministers in this church, <laughs> way more qualified than me, that can handle all these things you're dealing with. 
And I pray we're gonna point you back to the same thing, your first love. Once you get on that proper foundation, everything can be built. Unless the Lord builds the house, he that builds it labors in vain. You'll labor, just like the church of Ephesus. But the reality of it is, it's gotta be built on the right foundation. What's the right foundation? I can't even love him until I first know how much he loves me. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless everyone here today, God. I'm just asking for a, a, a fresh dose of revelation, illumination. Let the ray of light shine deep in their hearts and their minds. Let it synchronize and be coordinated in such a way that they can live it out and walk it out. Let them see, God, that there's nothing impossible with you, that all issues and situations that we're facing are just, just are temporary. They cannot override the power and the love of God. You have created something so amazing for us. And then you put it in our hands to say, guys, I want you to do what you see me do. Lord, wake us up to that reality and give us the confidence and the boldness to walk this thing out in the way you've called it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night, the book of Revelation.